So today we uh, finish our series called Curious, answering questions about God, the Bible, and life. Over the last five weeks, we've talked everything from the resurrection to other religions to suicide. And today I'm excited about the opportunity to talk about an issue that is front and center in many people's minds. And at Grace, we've never been afraid to tackle a tough question head on because the reality is avoiding an issue doesn't make it go away, right? And so this is an issue that is both challenging and disconcerting, especially when you consider that 92% of young adults outside the church, their number one perception of Christians is that they are anti-homosexual, thereby concluding that God must hate homosexuals. And so this is the question we want to consider today. Does God hate gay people? Does God hate homosexuals? And this question takes on a very different tone when you suddenly know somebody who is gay or lesbian, right? I mean, as a teenager, I grew up going to church, and I remember reading in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, where it says, if a man lays with another man, he is an abomination to God. Now, back then, I didn't have any problem when I read those words because, first, I didn't know what an abomination was. Secondly, like, I didn't know anybody who was gay, or at least I didn't think I did. Moreover, this was not a problem that I struggled with. I mean, to be honest, my problem was praying, God, help me keep my hands off the girls, right? And so growing up, I never wrestled with this because there was no reason to. So it was easy to see it as black and white. Now, years later, for myself and for many people, including yourself, you may have family members or friends or neighbors who are gay or lesbians, so it's hard to think of them as what the Bible calls an abomination. And when people, especially outside the church, hears, uh, when they hear preachers or churches bashing their, their friends, like, uh, and, and, like they are absolutely not interested in church or Christianity. Because now it is not just a hypothetical question, because now it is really about people that you care about. The reality is that you work with people who are gay, you have friends and neighbors who are lesbians, you have family members who are same-sex attracted. You also have fellow worshipers here at Grace who are also in that same boat. So here's the question, how, like how we wrestle with this issue, how we talk about it becomes paramount especially when we consider that homosexuality is not just an issue to be debated. We are talking about people deeply loved by God. And so in one sense, the question, does God hate homosexuals, is a really easy answer. The answer is a resounding no, absolutely not. But that still leaves a whole bunch of layers of other questions that go unattended. Because sadly, for many uh, who are gay or lesbian, their first encounter with somebody who claims to be a Christian is something like what happened this past week out in Grand Rapids, uh, and MLive, MLive did a story on this, when the members of Westboro Baptist Church protested, right? And they had signs filled with language, filled with hate. And, um, and let me just say this. Let me, so because of that, many gays and lesbians uh, uh, like they live in fear and they live in contempt 
of the church, of being found out, of being discriminated, being mistreated, or abused. Let me begin by saying this, that God is grieved over the pain and the mistreatment of gays and lesbians by anybody, but especially by Christians. And if you're here today and you, you are in that boat, right? You, you're gay, lesbian, you're part of that community. Let me just say this. We at Grace love you. And you have to know that you are not the enemy. And I'm sorry for the many ways that you may have been excluded or mistreated by the church. And you have to know that you are always welcome here. There is always a place here for you at grace, as we do our best to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, and to spur one another on towards Christ. Because the reality is, God calls us to love our neighbors without condition, qualification, or prerequisite. I mean, it's easy to love people who look like us, talk like us, act like us, believe like us. And, and, and because of this call that God has for us, that's where the rub is. And sometimes the question becomes, if Christians are supposed to love everybody, why do so many of them seem so homophobic? Right? Why is there such an intense hatred or hostility towards the LGBT community? I think there's a couple reasons here. Uh, I think, first of all, I think why some Christians seem so homophobic is, one, people fear what they do not know. And, and this is everybody, by the way, right? Uh, like, and religion, what religion does is offers an escape from people who are not like us, making the problem worse. Yeah, right? You, you heard me. Religion makes the problem worse, we fear that which is the other, and we hold all these preconceived notions of who they are, what they're like, why they act the way they do. And then religious, religion offers us an opportunity to pull up our drawbridges as we surround ourselves with people who, look, who are just like us. Again, making things worse because what, what we do is we push away those people we don't know, and that only increases fear within a religious institution. I think another reason that some Christians seem so homophobic is that people hate what makes them uncomfortable. Again, this is everybody, right? Human beings. But here's again where religion makes things worse. Religion makes things worse because it, it gives judgmental people what I call, what I'll call the authority of God, right? Religion allows them to approach this issue with a sense of righteous indignation, why? Because God is on my side. And they come against that which makes them uncomfortable, that which is different from them, and, and they feel uh, validated because, again, the authority of God. Now, in contrast to religion is the way of Jesus, who calls us, on one hand, to a life of holiness, yes, but also a life of holiness expressed through love, which looks like love for God, love for our neighbors, love for our enemies. In, in today's language, that would be anybody who, because we don't think of people we have enemies, right? Anybody who you vehemently disagree with. I mean, you think of politics or religion or anything else, and you could think of some people that are on the other side. And the call of Jesus is rather than building walls, we're called to build bridges. 
And again, this way of Jesus is really important and relevant to us because we all recognize how divisive this issue is. Not only in the surrounding culture, right? That's a really divisive political issue, but also it's very divisive, particularly within the church. It's a divisive theological issue. In fact, the people here at Grace are pretty divided over this. There are people here who lean more to the right on this issue. They take the traditional view. And there are people who would lean more to the left on this issue, and they would take the progressive view. What I want to do in a few moments is take just a little bit of time and give you a summary of both sides uh, because I think it's, re- it's really important for us to begin to understand the other side, whether you agree or not. Right? And uh, a couple caveats as we do this. Certainly this is not exhaustive. That's impossible in a 25-minute message to go through all the arguments and in scriptures, Right? Uh, So obviously in a message like this, far more will be left unsaid than said. Secondly, the second caveat, let me just say this. This is a church family discussion, right? In other words, if somebody comes in and they say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not a Christian, and I don't believe in the Bible, again, this is really important. It is not our responsibility to convince them to live according to a Christian ethic, Apart from the Spirit of God transforming them from the inside out, it is futile to argue about the ethics of homosexuality, right? Our first responsibility as followers of Jesus is to point them to the person of Jesus Christ. It is useless to introduce you to my ethic without first introducing you to my Savior, so again, this is a, a fa- church family discussion. If you're, if, you're, if, this, if you're new to the church and you're here, we want to welcome you. You are free to listen in as we talk about things that churches disagree over. So let me just start off by, by presenting the traditional view. Right? Jesus, uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is not directly talking about homosexuality or same-sex marriage. But again, here, there are principles that we can find helpful, especially as it relates to the traditional view about marriage and homosexual activity. So Jesus says in Matthew 19, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So a couple of deductions that we can make from this that the traditional view would make, and that is that marriage as male and female are God's original idea and ideal. Secondly, they would say male and female together reflect the fullness of God's image in us. Then the traditional view would go on to, uh, to lay a number of biblical passages in Leviticus and Romans and 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, that they would say clearly lays out that homosexual activity is something that is not pleasing to God and breaks his heart, along with many other things like stealing, envy, adultery, drunkenness. So that's like the three-minute version of the traditional view. Then let's go on to the progressive view. Uh, And we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now the progressives would say, yeah, you know, the emphasis here is being, it is not good to be alone. 
Right? Yes, God may have originally brought man and woman together in marriage, but God's heart is that we would not be alone. In fact, Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. And then he says, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so the progressives would deduce a couple things. They would say, well, God allows for marriage when singleness is too hard. Secondly, God delights in covenantal love, fidelity, and companionship. And then they would also say, well, when the Bible seems to condemn homosexual activity, it is actually referring to homosexual activity as it relates to, as characterized as gang rape, incest, abuse, and whatnot, and not really in the context of a faithful, loving, monogamous relationship. And so the question that I get asked often is, well, where, where does grace stand in all this? Well, let me just say this. Typically, in this debate, traditionalists, uh, they form their own exclusive clubs and churches, and progressives form their own exclusive clubs and churches. And then what they do is they throw spitballs at each other. The traditionalists see the progressives, and they see, they, they, uh, they see them as a bunch of heretics. And they say, you don't have a place with us. The progressives see the traditionalists and see them as a bunch of bigots. Well, fine, we don't want to have a place with you. Well, here's the thing. We want to take a, a different approach. We want to create space uh, for iron to sharpen iron. That, that is, it's a Hebrew metaphor. And imagine like two knives coming together and sharpening one another. And for iron to sharpen iron, you have to have different people with different perspectives challenging and sharpening one another. Iron doesn't sharpen iron if two pieces are just doing a dance in tandem with one another, okay? Somebody in the first service was making fun of me afterwards, like, oh, that's a great dance song, right? Uh, but uh, there's two pieces of iron da dancing in tandem with one another, right? And this is the thing. That only happens when you, when you have them come together and, and they, they rub together and oftentimes causing a bit of friction. Here at Grace, we don't shy away from friction. That's different from division and disunity. We actually want to encourage these conversations to happen. That said, let me say this. Where does grace fall on this? We are traditionalists who want to have a different posture toward progressives. And not just progressives, but anybody outside the church, including the LGBT community. Rather than saying to progressives, well, stay away, we want to say, get over here. We are traditionalists who want to embrace progressives who are willing to take the chance to learn and grow in community. Now, let me just say this. If you are a hyper-traditionalist, you're upset right now because you're thinking, you're inviting progressives to the table? Or you're thinking, you didn't come down hard enough on the issue. Let me just say this. To simply state that the Bible condemns homosexuality, I don't believe is enough to end the discussion. Secondly, I think even to say it that way it is really uh, judgmental in tone, whether you mean that or not. And again, again, comparing the way of religion and comparing the way of Jesus. 
Let me also speak to those of you who are maybe hyper-progressives. You're upset now because you're thinking, well, now we know you're a bunch of bigots who hate gay people. Which, by the way, is its own form of bigotry and judgmentalism. Just saying. And I believe you can hold a traditional viewpoint and not be a homophobic bigot or hate gay people. And the question I want to pose all of us today is this. What would it look, because really, this is the main issue, okay? What would it look like for us to engage with people whom you fundamentally disagree with in a way that you actually get to know them, where you choose to love them, you actually practice gracious hospitality, you listen respectfully, you, you uh, learn with humility, and you find ways to serve one another. Like, what would that look like? And I'll say this, when you begin to do that, I can guarantee that you will have a change of attitude. Even if you don't have a change of uh, theology, you will have a change of attitude that will lead to greater love, respect, and care so that we might become the kind of community that God intends for his church to be. Let me just share one story that may, may illustrate this. Because I, 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 I get this question asked often, especially from those of you who are regular attenders. Hey, I have a gay or lesbian friend. I want to invite them to grace. But, uh, you know, uh, how is that going to be? Well, a number of years ago, there was a guy named Tom. And it was uh, about this weekend because he was ready to graduate. And he's, he was from England. So he and his wife were looking to move back to England. And that weekend, uh, he said, hey, or the weekend before, he said, hey, Sung, uh, you know, uh, my brother's coming from England to, for my graduation, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, I, I want him to come to Grace. And I was like, yeah, great, I'd love to meet him. Tom kind of looked sober a little bit and said, well, he, he's gay. I said, yeah, and so? Uh, I don't see a problem here. Well, I just want to make sure that he'll be welcomed and accepted. I, I wasn't sure where we stood on that, and and so I just wanted to talk to you. I'm like, Tom, no, it is perfectly, I mean, yes, invite him. That, I, I, I mean, uh, it, that'd be great to meet him and just really welcome here. And then he said, well, he's also coming with his partner. I said, again, what, what's the issue, Tom? Like, oh, okay, I just want to make sure because, you know, if they come, like, they might be holding hands and, you know, it might make people uncomfortable. And again, I was like, Tom, Tom look, look, this is all irrelevant, we are all in need of God's grace here. And I remember right after service, uh, I remember they, that Sunday, uh, it was like four years ago, but I, I remember it like it was yesterday, they were sitting right in the back row, right in this section. Right after the service, as we were singing the doxology, I went back, and afterwards, I met his brother. And, he, and uh, I said, hey, uh, I'm Sung, I'm the pastor here. And he was like, man, I haven't been to church in like 30 years. My parents took us when we were little, like me and my brother Tom, but again, you know, because I chose a different path, I I haven't been to church, and man, this this was great. And then I I met his partner, and his partner, he he just kind of had this look on his face, and he was like, man, I don't know what this is, (laughs) but this doesn't seem like church, because because like, in fact, and he told me he had never stepped inside of a church his entire life. So he was like, this is my first time in church. And he's like, I I don't know everything that's going on here, and I don't know all that you believe, but I can tell you this. I I felt something here that I've never felt before. 
Now, at that point, I didn't beat the Bible, shoved the Bible down his throat or anything. We just had a great conversation. I was glad to meet them. And again, like, this is an interesting question, right? During this whole series, right, uh, a number of weeks ago, we took a survey of the congregation. This question about homosexuality and all, 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 everything that kind of layers of questions here received four times uh, more uh, questions than any other question that we've addressed in this series. So again, it's a prevalent question, and it's a necessary question, but can I say, I, I, I mean, I really hate this question, not because it's controversial or sensitive or anything like that. I hate it because, like, this is what it does. It postures by focusing on this one particular issue. And I get it. Everybody's talking about it. It poses a danger to us. Like, it seems like we are elevating homosexuality above anything else, right? Setting it up as, like, the sin. However, the Bible is really clear. Homosexual sin is no worse morally than any kind of heterosexual sin, be it adultery or pornography or anything else, let alone any other sins that the Bible talks about. They all break the heart of God. The only difference is the psychological or social or relational consequences may be more or less severe than others. This also disregards, when we put the spotlight on this issue of homosexuality, it disregards the fact that we are all in process. When people are like, well, can I come to church even though I don't have my junk together? Well, yeah. Hello, that's all of us. We're all in process, not just, Tom, not just your brother and his partner. You too, me too, we're all in process. When it comes to living outside the will of God, welcome. Like, Welcome, welcome to the journey. After that Sunday, Tom came up to me. He didn't usually call me Sung, he, you know, because, again, he's from England. He'd be like, hey, mate. <laughs> he said, do you think my brother and his partner are going to hell because they're gay? I, I mean, I've been wrestling with that for so long, right? I love him, and we've grown up together, and, and I'm a Christian, and he kind of left the faith in the church, and I just don't know where he is. It's a good question. I get asked that a lot. In fact, somebody here just a couple months ago told me a similar uh, uh, told me a story with a similar question. He said, "I went. I got. I got this job, and and my my boss pulled me into his office, and he said, "Hey, uh, I know you're a Christian. I don't know if you know, but I'm gay. So do you think, as a Christian, that I'm going to hell because I'm gay?" <laughs> and the guy was talking to me after church, and he's like, "Sung." I didn't know what to say to him, right? That's just an awkward place to be in. Your boss asking you that. Well, and I told him this story, which I've told many people. And so my response to Tom was this, hey, look, Tom, your brother and his partner, they're not going to hell because they're gay anymore than you're going to heaven because you're straight. Again, this is not the issue. Right? Let's remember, we are all in need of God's grace. We all need the power of Christ's finished work on the cross to, to free us from the penalty of sin and free us from its power so that we can become more like Christ. So we need to dismantle this whole idea of this whole, that, that there are those bad people out there. There are no people out there. There are only people here. There's only you and I, all of us, who, who, whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, we are all on the journey together. 
under Christ's authority to become like the people that God created us to be. And so the question I want to leave us today is this. What would it look like to be a faith community where we are committed to admitting our own hypocrisy before God and before others? What would it look like to be a community where we are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, slow to judge? That's not our responsibility. Like that doesn't mean that we have to pretend we agree because the community that God intends for his church can bear the weight of such disagreements. And I'll say this, we are not a perfect church, far, far from it. But as we learn to share life together, please know, even in moving forward from here, we will say things and do things very imperfectly as it relates to this issue and many others. But know this, I also believe just because we can't do something perfectly is never an excuse for us to do nothing. And so the, the, the scripture that I want to leave you, just burning in your hearts and mind today, is, is this. This is what we are called to be and do. In the words of Jesus, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see this question, does God hate homosexuals? That's not so much a theological question as much as it is a sociological reality. The world looks at the church the, the, the world looks at how we behave or, or, or people who claim to be Christians behave and they make judgments on God based on a sociological reality more so than the fact that they believe God actually hates gays, lesbians, and homosexuals. The call for us is to be and do this command that Jesus leaves us with. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray together. So God, we come broken by our own sins. Not looking at the speck in our brother's or sister's eye, but looking at the log in our own. Knowing that you call us to, to love others and to hate the sin in ourselves. And today we just want to thank you for your son Jesus, who gave his life, that we might have eternal life. Who rose from the dead and now has given us hope, have given us strength. And it is because of you that we have that hope. We have this joy. And Lord, would we be instruments of your love and peace in this world? Rather than bringing darkness and hate, would we be instruments of light and peace, your love in this world? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.